Our Bible readings in these days are taking us through some letters, letters that come straight from Jesus. It's, they are His words. They're found in the last book of the Bible, which is the Revelation. Remember, there's not an S on the end of that title. It's not Revelations. But the title of the last book of the Bible is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And in chapters 2 and 3, we have some personal words given to seven congregations. Many people call this section the seven letters to the seven churches, and indeed, that's exactly what it is. And in this season of Thanksgiving, before we move into the Christmas season, we wanted to share and read together and contemplate the words of Jesus to these churches. So we spend our time this morning on one that we picked up at the beginning of the week, if you're following in those readings. And if you haven't, you certainly can. All you must do or need to do is go to our website, and there's a a button there on the front page that says Daily Bible Readings, and you'll be right up to speed with the rest of us. But it's the letter that is found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and it's a letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus, a real-life place. It is not uh, as vibrant as it was in the first century as it is today. The ruins of the city of Ephesus are, are still there. You can go and visit and walk the streets that Paul walked, walk the streets of the New Testament world in that day and in that time. But there was a congregation in Ephesus. And John, as he is banished to the island we call Patmos, is given this vision of what is to come, what will be, how history will unfold, what will the future hold. And the first thing that happens is Jesus speaks to the churches. He speaks to you and to me today. He has a specific message for each one of these congregations. For remember, they are were living organizations, congregations. They were in real life cities. There's no real symbolism here in the fact that they are addressed some people who lived in that day and time. So we can take these words to heart because they're directed at you and me as well. So let's just take our time this morning and move through this letter from Jesus to the church at Ephesus. It begins in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, speaking to John, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand And the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. From the very beginning, and you're going to find this, if you look through all seven of these letters, you're going to find a common outline and a common structure. And the first thing that John does in all of these letters, he does so at the beginning of this first one to the church at Ephesus, as he wants to be very clear with his audience who is doing the talking, who's speaking And so he goes back, and you remember in chapter 1 of Revelation, he has this vision of Jesus. It's a symbolic portrayal here. All of the, the characteristics of God that we find in the Old Testament, John sees as being a part of who Jesus is. He describes this one like a son of man. He then describes his hair that is white, He describes his eyes of fire. He describes the sword of the Spirit that is coming from the mouth of this one, of this this powerful picture of Jesus. And then in part of that description, he said, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And this one like a son of man was walking through those lampstands and he had seven stars in his hand. That's the picture of Jesus in chapter 1. So then as he begins this letter to the church at Ephesus, he takes one of those descriptors, one of those verses that describes Jesus in chapter 1 and he uses it to identify Jesus as the one who's speaking these words. So verse 1 says, to the church at Ephesus, write the following. Who's doing the talking? The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. We remember that chapter 1 of Revelation tells us that there's a symbolic portrayal of these golden lampstands. They're the seven churches. And so it could well be said that First Baptist Church Louisville is one of these golden lampstands and Jesus is walking in the midst of it. That this is a symbol of who we are as a congregation. So who's doing the talking? Jesus is talking. And that's very important to John because if these were his words, then people could go, well, who do you think you are to say these words? You don't understand us. You don't know us. But John makes it very clear that it's not John speaking. These are not the words that John wants to write down that he wants to say to each one of these congregations. He's not the one standing in judgment of their work and of each of the persons in these congregations. It's Jesus doing the talking. And folks, here's the deal. When Jesus talks, we best listen. If God is speaking to you and God is at work in this world all around us, God has a plan for our lives. He has a plan for your life. He has a will for your life. He has a plan for the life of the golden lampstand that stands out in this world called First Baptist Church Louisville. And when Jesus gives us instruction for us to turn a deaf ear, for us to turn away and say, we don't want to hear this, we best be careful. It's Jesus who's given the orders here. Now, what does Jesus say? Well, in this letter, he commends them in the next verse, next two verses, verses 2 and 3. I know it doesn't sound good to say, you done good. Grammatically, it's wrong, but it communicates. That's what my father always said to us when we were growing up, when he approved of what we were doing. He would say, you done good. It was just his mannerism, his way of speaking, and it's followed through in my own mind. And Jesus, in essence, is telling the church at Ephesus that they have done some great things. He approves of many of the things that they do. What have they done? Well, let's look at verses 2 and 3. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my sake, and you have not grown weary. There's a lot of good there. You just go back through that list, and if you were living in first century Ephesus, and you received this word, and these are not just the words of John. I mean, he's an important person, but he pales in comparison to the judgment of Jesus himself. And this is Jesus talking. These are the Lord's words. And he says, 
I know your deeds, your toil, your ability to endure. And I know and I approve and I love you for what you've done. You have taken a stand in a darkened world. And for that, I commend you. But he also corrects them. He also mentions that even though they have done good in so many ways, they have also stumbled in other ways. And this is an amazing verse. He says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, see, he spends this much commending them. Saying, I appreciate you, you're faithful, you're strong, you take a stand, I love you for that. You, uh, you call out evil for being evil, on and on. But then he says, but I have this against you. And then it's just one brief phrase, you have left your first love. What does he mean? Well, if you go to a commentary, you research verse 4 of Revelation chapter 2, you're going to find that there's... Several interpretations of this idea of you've left your first love. I want to mention just a couple of them this morning. One idea that I think is very, very clear here is that it has something to do with the way we treat other people. Now, I'm going to show you a video clip here. I need to set it up. It's, you're going to have to use your imagination. It's, a, it's not a cartoon. It's not an animation, but it well could have been. It's a, it's a make-believe story of how... Young people in a certain day and time lived out their Christianity. So it's going to be very obvious that the ones who believe in Jesus, they're identified by having, they have wings. And you'll, you'll see here in just a moment. So you've got to kind of be flexible and use your imagination. But the setup of this is there's someone, a young lady in, in the group that has gone astray. And the Christians, the Christian young people are being urged to bring her back, to, to bring her back to the church, to help restore her. And this is how it goes. Sorry. Uh, you got a second? Yeah. Listen, I'm concerned about Mary. Something's going on. Yeah, me too. Well, she's part of your posse, and I think that you could help her. I'm going to need you to be a warrior out there on the front lines for Jesus. You mean like shooter? <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was uh, thinking of something a little less gangster. I need someone who's spiritually armed to help guide her back to her faith. The love and care that only Jesus can supply. You down with that? Yeah, I'm down with that. She's pretty vulnerable right now, so I'm going to need you to be extra gentle. I'm going, I'm going. into the flames of hell. Yeah. You've become a magnet for sin. We've all witnessed it. Yes. Sure. Veronica acting all pure. What about last spring break at the Promise Makers rally, huh? Oh, my God. You are making accusations. As we're trying to save your soul. Mary, 
Turn away from Satan. Jesus, he loves you. You don't know first thing about love. I am filled with Christ's love. God, you are just jealous of my success in the Lord. This is not a weapon, you idiot. Use your imagination. But did you hear some of the key phrases? This is not a weapon. We call this the sword of the Spirit, and rightfully so. We talk in terms of God's Word being our weapon, our offensive weapon to conquer the world. And we understand what we mean by that. But I believe there are some of us who have gone to the extreme, and even though we laugh at a portrayal, an animated story like this, or at least a a fantasy story like this, but that's exactly how many of us treat those who don't believe as we believe. And I think when Jesus said, I have this against you, that you have left your first love, that part of the issue here is that we treat others with disrespect and disdain. And we're never going to reach people who believe other than the things we believe by treating them in this way. We're never going to bring someone back who is part of God's family. We're never going to reprove and correct someone using the idea that we're up here and they're down here and we're going to do our best to bring them up to our level. Folks, this, is, this permeates every avenue of life. When I read the New Testament, I don't see Jesus ever marching to Rome and demanding a hearing with the government officials and lambasting sinners and people who disagreed with him. When I read the New Testament, I don't see Paul writing up huge manifestos and delivering them to the governing authorities and lambasting other people groups. When I read the New Testament, I see Jesus condemning, calling out and calling groups of people vipers. But you know who they are, don't you? They're religious people. They're the people in the churches. We are not going to change this world by condemning other people. We're going to change this world when we take the love of Christ and we bring the kingdom of God to this earth. And I don't think we do that by spending our time attacking other groups, attacking other people, attacking sinners that are sinners just like you and me. I don't know if we gain too much traction and achieve too much when we spend most of our time in a political battle with people who disagree with us. Some of us have left our first love. It also could have something to do with the fact that leaving your first love means you, you and I have forgotten how we used to feel. 
We have forgotten. When he says you've left your first love, he may be talking about things just like we saw in the video, that we treat other people who disagree with us. And our way of redeeming people is to force them into certain activities or certain mindsets. doesn't work. But another idea, and maybe the one that hits closer to home with most of us, is the fact that at one time when we met Jesus and we felt his love, we were motivated by some things at the very beginning of our relationship with the Lord. And we've lost them. You talk about losing things. I've lost my keys. I can't get in my study. My keys, and I, it's my, I'm sure it's my fault. I leave them at places at certain times. I go to breakfast at Cracker Barrel on Tuesday mornings with a group of guys, and I set the keys on the table. And every once in a while, they move the keys just to make me lose them. And then I walk all the way out, can't find them, come back in, and they put them back where they were. Very disrespectful. But I know the keys are not at home because I got here this morning. So they're somewhere here in the church. So, excuse me, time out. Has anybody in this room <laughs> seen my keys? Anybody in this room seen my keys? Are you serious? Okay, Lloyd, bring them to me, please. Where'd you? Time out here. I, this is important. Okay. Where'd you find them? In the coffee, the coffee bar. Okay. Thank you, sir, very much. Thank you. I make a stop at the coffee bar to counsel with people. And, uh... But folks, think about it. This, these, when you lose your keys... There is no other item of business than finding the key. Because you see, I've got a key to a 1999 GMC Yukon that's configured just the way I like it. Dual exhaust, it's got a radio, Bluetooth, everything. And it does me no good if I don't have the key. If I lose the key, I can't go anywhere. I've got an office on this end. I've got a study down here. And these are the keys that go to that office and that study. And I can't get in without these keys. And then, you know, this little key goes to the front door or any door at 265 Meadowlark Lane where I live. It's my house. And I've got a key that will let me in to the house where I've got everything that's important to me. I've got my clothes there. I've got a comfortable sleep number bed. That's, my sleep number is 35, if you need to know that. And everything there. And I, I've got a, a great place to go and hang out. It's called my house. But if I don't have a key, see what I mean? The key is most important. The keys are everything. These keys that allow me to go somewhere, to get in an office, to get in my comfortable home, if I lose them, I'm locked out. And the very things that afford me these privileges keep me from experiencing those privileges if I don't have the key. So, have you left your first love? If you have, you've lost these. 
you don't have the keys, if you lose the keys, God helped you and God helped me. If we lose the key to everything. And in this case, Jesus is very clear in speaking to John that many of us have lost or left or misplaced our keys, our first love. Now, you know what I do? Just what I did a couple minutes ago. On the occasions when I misplace these, it's an all-out search. I go through the cushions in the couch. I go over here. I try to remember where I've been. And I am on an all-out search for the keys. Because without the keys, I can't do anything. Everything depends upon these. And if you and I think that we can move through life and please God and make any headway in bringing God's kingdom closer to this earth. And we're going to do it by coercing people, by judging people, by condemning people. And it's a simple fact that we're in a mad search for keys that we can't find and we don't know where we left them. And we've got to find them. Folks, think back. When you, when you first began this walk with Jesus or, or when it dawned upon you, maybe it was a, a time of recommitment and, and rededication. Many people have had that spiritual stirring from within that may have happened after you were baptized as a believer. It may have happened because of some event in your life. It may have been a, a, a good thing or maybe it was a tragedy. Whatever the case may be. Maybe God revealed himself to you in such a way going on a mission trip. Or maybe it was just dealing with a family issue. Whatever the case may be. Can't you go back and remember what it was like to feel and to understand and to know the love of Jesus? that could make you laugh, that could make you cry, that could make you give like you've never given before, that could make you serve when you felt that in any other case you'd be too tired and there was always someone else that could take care of it. It's right here. It's the keys. It's our first love. And if you've lost it, then you've lost everything. So, the fifth verse. He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and return and do the things you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place. Remember that? possibility that a lampstand, one of those seven, could be removed. I think it has more to do with the fact that the church can always be visible. But its light, its purpose, its reason can be snuffed out. And we can stand there and look and see but the influence of a church, the influence of a life, if you've lost these, 
and you're not earnestly looking to find them, God help us all. So what does John tell us to do? He says, remember from where you've fallen. Once again, when I lose these keys, it's an all-out search. It's a, it's, a, it's a mad dash to try to remember, to try to think through. And usually, that's what helps me. If I can go back and think, now, where was I when I last remember having them? And usually, that will trigger a memory, and it will take me to some part of the house, or I'll stick my hand down in the deepest part of the cushion of the, of the couch there in the TV room, and there they are. Or it may be that I just left them sitting out somewhere that I normally, it's not part of my routine. It's all in what? In remembering, in retracing steps. How much more obvious can this be? If you're in a marriage today, and it's not the marriage it once was, then maybe it's because one or both of you have stopped even trying to remember and retrace your steps. If you're on the outs between a parent and a child, that there's a family situation going on within this room to where there's estrangement in the family, somebody's going to have to start looking for these. Because don't you remember? This key... It's what brings forgiveness into your heart. This key, this is what makes you smile when you look at that person. This is that one who gave his or her commitment of life to you. And there's the key. That's it. But without it, you're locked out. Remember from where you follow. Then he uses that Bible word, repent. Repent means nothing more, nothing less than you're heading this way and you make an about face and you head back the other way. And what more could you do when you look for these keys and you find them? You retrace your steps, you find them, and then what? You move in the direction where these keys do what they're supposed to do. They're the avenue for you to go somewhere. They're to get you into work. They're to let you in your house with them. You've got it. Without them, you have nothing So it's not enough just to remember. I'm sorry. That, that's nostalgic. That's emotional. That's what will bring out the heartstrings in our minds and in our eyes. Whatever it is that does that. Maybe a memory. It may be music. It may be a special place. Whatever it is in your relationship with God, your relationship at home, wherever it is. It's not enough just to remember and retrace those steps. But you've got to, once you find them, you've got to turn and walk the way you're supposed to go. That's what repentance is. It's a choice of the will. It's a simple yet, it's the most difficult thing to do at times. It all depends on whether you want to find these or not. So remember, repent, and then do is what the Greek says. But to make it easy to remember, there's three R words. Remember, repent, return. Same idea. Remember, repent, return, and do the things what? Do the things you did at first. Remember that first love? When you first came into the kingdom? When you first had answers to prayer? When you first felt the passion of the Spirit of God in your life? It's not too late. You've seen these. You've had them in your hand. 
You just lost them. You misplaced them. You've left them behind. So go look for them. Because without them, that's removed. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today, to call upon your name, to hear your word, to act upon it. So, Father, it's my prayer that we act upon your word this day, that we search for the keys, that we return to our first love, our love for you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We offer an invitation this morning, an opportunity for you and me to make choices. We're going to sing a hymn of commitment in just a moment. There are going to be deacons and ministers standing here. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, you've never experienced that first love, it's a choice you make. It's an understanding of the fact that you cannot save yourself, that Jesus went to a cross and died that you and I might live. It's a prayer that you pray. It's a spiritual exchange. It's the crossing of a line of faith. And we're here to help you. We can't make that choice for you. But we'd invite you to come and publicly profess your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord. Just never have told anyone. Come tell us. Maybe you've never followed him in believer's baptism like Garrett did at the beginning of this service. Be willing to do that. That's a command that God has given us. It's not from me. Once again, it's not my idea. It's from God. When God speaks, it's best to listen and obey. You can do that this morning. Maybe God's leading you to join our church today. Maybe this is where you feel you belong, you and your family. Maybe you're a single adult. We invite you to come and to unite with this church and become a part of this lampstand, this golden lampstand, the First Baptist Church of Louisville. Maybe God's dealing with you in an area of your life. Maybe it has something to do with finding these. My goodness, when when I lose these, it's an all-out search. So why aren't you? Why aren't you returning? Why aren't you remembering? These not important to you anymore? Some people here just need prayer. And if it's just you want to pray with someone, you want someone to voice a prayer over you, there'll be some folks down here, and they're here just to do that, to give you a prayer, to give you the gift of prayer. So just come forward. Now is the time. We stand together. We sing. Won't you respond to God's will right now?